0: Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Awesome. Merry Christmas. I'm glad you're here this morning. I hope you're excited to be here. Uh, This is an awesome uh, just time of year and and just reflecting in on Christmas and what Christmas is all about. And I'm excited about today, excited about what God's put on my heart to share uh, with you guys this morning. And so if you got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, that's where we'll be uh, this morning, talking a little bit um, about Christmas uh, while you turn there, I want to pray for us, and uh, we'll, we'll jump in. So, Father, we, uh, God, we love you. Uh, God, we worship you. Father, we lay our lives before you this morning. Um, God, we ask that uh, you would speak through your word. Uh, God, in this time of, of Christmas, uh, it's so easy to be distracted and busy. and Lord, just all the things that come with it that are great things, but a lot of times they distract us from the real things. So, Lord, I pray today, God, that you would slow us down a little bit. God, you would focus us in on you and who you are and what you've done, Lord, and what your plan is uh, for us. And, Lord, I know there's different people in this room right now, God, um, that are in different spots, some good spots, some bad. But, Lord, I know today through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, you can speak to us and meet us exactly where we are. So, Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak to us, God, and we'd have the courage to respond and take our next step. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning, uh, I want to do something a little bit different uh, than than I usually do. I I really, uh, as I was praying and thinking through this service and really reading and just asking the Lord, you know, what exactly, what he want me to do. The text that he brought me back to uh, was was Matthew chapter 1, and today is going to really be one big scripture reading, so to speak, uh, because I really want us to dive into and uh, look at the story of Christmas in a way that kind of slows us down from our busy schedules and focuses us in on who Christ is and what he's done, what he came to do, and and what really he has left with us, the greatest gift uh, that we could ever ask for. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 is where we'll start. If you have your Bibles, you can be there. If you're not, it'll be on the screen behind me, but it starts this way. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I mean, can you imagine the conversation between Joseph and Mary as she uh, was impregnated by the Holy Spirit and having to talk to Joseph about this? They were uh, about to be married and... Don't you know if you were in their uh, situation, an angel of the Lord would have to appear to you as well uh, to tell you that. So, um, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. As I was reading this text this week and thinking about it, I was, you know, just kind of wrestling in my own heart, and and God was just really, I think, calling me out for several things and and really felt like he, he wanted me to share this. But, you know, it's so easy during the Christmas season to just get so busy and so caught up in what we have to do that, honestly, we don't really sit down... And just be with God and, and, and think about Christmas and what it is and what Christ has done uh, by coming to earth and being born and living his life and dying and, and, and resurrecting and, and, and going back to heaven and sending us the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we lose that in the busyness because I know starting today, most of us will probably work a couple days and then we're traveling somewhere or we're doing last minute shopping or if you're like me, you're probably building some uh, gift, like a trampoline, praise God uh, that I don't have to do that again this year, um, for your child, or, and, and a lot of times you're so busy and you're you're doing all these things that you you forget to just sit down, and so I really wanted today to be about us as a, as a church family slowing down and not letting Christmas become more about creative stuff or created stuff than the creator, and I thought there was no better way for us to do that than to just slow down, remember Jesus, and celebrate him for who he is. And specifically, the way I want to do that today is really reminding you of three incredible truths that I think are simple, yet they're so profound, and they're these. Christmas is about really three things when you think about it. It's about God with us, it's about God for us, and it's about God in us, right? I want to explain what I mean by that. When you think about Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus and how it all happened, the moral of the story and, and, and what the point of the birth of Christ and the incarnation of Jesus is, is that God left heaven to come and be with us, to show us himself, to be near to us. But not only that, it's God for us. <clears throat> when you think about Calvary and the cross and really Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross for us, the pinnacle really of his character and who he was, really the words to describe it are God for us. Because it was God substituting himself in place of our sin so that we could be reconciled to God. So that the penalty due our sin was paid. He was the perfect sacrifice to, to reconcile us back to God. And then lastly, God in us. God in us, meaning at Pentecost, at the end of, of, of Jesus's life, he, he lived a life, he was born in a manger, he, he kind of lived his life, went to the cross, resurrected, and then at the very end he gathered his, his believers together before he went back to heaven and he said, listen, I want you guys to wait because I'm going to send a helper for you guys and this helper is going to empower you and it's going to empower you to be my witness, to show who I am in the way you live and the way you talk and what I've done. To the entire world. And, and I believe this is the best Christmas gift we could ever get, is the Holy Spirit to live in us. And I believe that can be summarized by the statement, God in us. And so Christmas is about God with us, God for us, and God in us. I want to talk a little bit about each of these and really get you to focus in and for this to become personal and hopefully a way for you to celebrate Christmas this year with your you personally and with your family. So number one is God with us. You know, it's so easy to just read over the Christmas story as if you've heard it a million times before, because most likely most of us have heard it before, but that still does not take away how powerful the Christmas story is. And I want to just take you on a journey through scripture to show you just how incredible and how much of a miracle Jesus coming to earth was and where he came from and how big of a deal it was. And I want to do this really by reading some scripture. And so the first scripture is Revelation chapter 4. I don't know that anybody's ever preached a Christmas sermon out of Revelation 4, but here we go. So, um, but I want you to think about God himself in heaven, what he left to come and be with us on earth and accomplish what he accomplished. Revelation 4 gives us a picture of the throne room of heaven. And it says this, after, Revelation 4, 1, after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. This is John, this is a vision from God that brings him up to heaven. He says, and the voice I first heard speaking to me was like a trumpet. It said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was, and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You know, when you think of Jesus coming and being born in a manger, a lot of times we don't think about what he came from to come to this earth, knowing that he would be beaten and abused and eventually killed for our sake and for the, for the punishment, do our sin. But I want you to think about who God is. What does it say about God that God would leave heaven? Perfect fellowship with God. Everything was perfect. No sin, no sorrow, no sickness. But he would leave that utopia of what heaven will be to come to earth. And Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, give us Christ Jesus' mindset in doing this. So not only do we see where he comes from and what he left, but we also get to see his heart. Paul shares this in verse 5 of Philippians 2. He says, listen, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, It says he he humbled himself, and though he could have remained in the place of God where all the worship was coming, he humbled himself and became a servant and became obedient to God and God's plan to die on a cross for you and I. And not only that, we see the humility in Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, where we see the humility of his birth just in general. Verse 6, it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, And Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and she placed him in a manger. Why? Because there was no guest room available for them. You think about the God of the universe who had just come down from heaven being worshipped and everybody bowing down, worthy, worthy is the Lord God Almighty. And he comes down and they don't even have room for him in the hotel. So he goes out back with the donkeys in the barn And he humbles himself to be born there. And it wasn't by accident. This was by his plan. This is what he wanted. This is how he wanted to reveal himself. This is the God that we worship. Verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for who all the people... Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. This is the God that we worship. But laying in that manger, that little baby, God had already proclaimed in the Old Testament who he would be. And don't you know those shepherds would have known the Old Testament scripture, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, where Isaiah would say, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This was the king. He was the king of the universe, came to us in a manger. John chapter 1 verses 9 through 14 tell us, though this is who he was, this is how he was received by people like you and me. Verse 9, John says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him and the world, the world did not recognize him, he came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh, and it made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, Full of grace and truth. This is a miracle. This is incredible. When you think about what Christmas represents and who it was, this baby born in this manger, and what it symbolized for him to come from heaven and to be born just like you and me to walk in the world so that he could empathize and know what we would walk through, the God man would come. What a God that would come from heaven! to become like you and I so that he could empathize and walk with us. He could set an example of who he was and how we should live our lives and what light in this true dark world looks like. What an incredible, incredible thing that Christmas represents. But not only did he become like us, not only did he show us the way, but he is also God for us. Not only is he God God with us, Emmanuel, but he's also God for us. On the cross, God, Calvary, literally the sin that you and I represent, our sin was placed on him. Even the Bible says that he became sin when he came here. He was the sacrifice for us. I want you to listen to Isaiah again, 700 years before Jesus came. As God spoke through him, explaining what Jesus had come to do. On the cross, Isaiah 53 verse 1, whoever, this is the message translation, uh, so this, this may be different, but look at it on the screen. It says this, who believes that we've heard what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? Nobody. The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him. Nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over. A man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains that he carried. Our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Though his bruises we get healed, through his bruises we get healed. We are all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done on him on him. He was beaten. He was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered, and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried, and he was let off. And did anyone anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul, and said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it, life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones. As he himself carries the burden of their sins, therefore, I'll reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest honors, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch. Because he embraced the company of the lowest, he took on his own shoulders the sin of many. He took up the cause of all the black sheep. Christmas is about the rescue of lost people like you and I. Listen, a lot of times when we think about Christmas, we lose sight of Christmas because we lose sight of just how sinful we are, right? And so when Jesus comes and he's born in a manger and he lives this life and he dies on a cross, the Bible says that literally 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of, of God, You see, in the Old Testament, sacrifices had to be made because of sin against God, right? And so you'd see people go up to the temple and they'd bring a goat or they'd bring a chicken or they'd bring a bird and they'd be making sacrifices so that God literally wouldn't be mad at them, that justice for them would be appeased based on the blood sacrifice of this animal. But when Jesus came, once and for all, he provided the final the eternal, the only sacrifice that could save you and I. So that now through faith in him, you and I literally, when we put our faith in Christ, God looks at us and he puts our sin on Christ. And now through Christ's just punishment that God did with him on the cross to death, we walk away free, ransomed, rescued, where now when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. What an incredible gift that God has given us on the cross. And listen, when we celebrate Christmas, that's the baby we celebrate that grew up to pay for the ransom for mine and your sin. Listen, for many of us today, the challenge is that Christmas is not a big deal to us because our sin is not a big deal to us. We we think that for us salvation is about becoming a better person because We don't like to see ourselves as God sees us. We like to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. How do I know that? Because I'm the same way. We like to see ourselves as, man, I'm not that bad. I've done a few bad things, but listen, I'm not like him or I'm not like her, right? We compare ourselves to other people. But at the end of the day, here's what we have to understand sin against an infinitely holy God deserves infinite punishment, it deserves death. And so we need a substitute, and that's what Christ came to do. And listen, Christ died on the cross not to make you a better person, but to make you a new person, right, to make you filled with his Holy Spirit so that he can begin to work inside out. Listen, religion and and culture tells you, hey, all you got to do is clean up on the outside, and if you'll begin to clean up on the outside and begin to do this, this, and this, then you'll be a better person, and God will love you more. That's not the gospel, that's religion. Religion says, listen, if you'll come to Christ, believe in what he's already done for you, the finished work of of Christ on the cross, that listen, he'll begin a work in you that will change you outwardly forever. This is the gospel that we believe in. This is what Christ came to accomplish. And then lastly, not only is Christmas about God for us and what he's done on the cross for us, the penalty of sin, but lastly, Christmas is about God in us. Christmas is about God in us. And this to me may be the greatest gift of all. This was why Jesus could give us a promise in John chapter 14, verse 12, where he says, Listen, he gets his disciples and he tells them, Hey, I'm about to leave here. And of course, they're panicking. I mean, you'd be panicking. Listen, if Jesus was sitting next to you at church this morning and you were just hanging out and he was like, Hey, man, it's been great, it's been awesome. I've loved showing you around and kind of showing you what it means to follow uh, God and be a follower of Christ. And, you know, I know you've loved seeing the miracles and everything that went on, but uh, I, it's, it's time for me to go home. You'd be like, home? I thought, we, we, we were, yeah, I thought you were coming to my home. Home. Well, you know, we home. No, Jesus is saying, no, I have to go to heaven. And you're sitting there thinking, no, what could be better than Jesus here with me? And Jesus tells his disciples in verse 12, he says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And he goes on to tell them that he's going to leave for them a helper. The Greek word's paraclete. It's a counselor. It's an advocate. It's, it's somebody to live in them that is God. It's why God, our God of the Bible, exists in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so what could be better than the person of Jesus Christ? It's the Holy Spirit, which is God living inside of you and I. It's God himself in us. And as we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the fact that God has gone back to heaven, but also he lives inside of us. And the Bible teaches us that the Spirit regenerates us. Right? This is why salvation is not becoming a better person. It's actually becoming a new person. This is what regeneration, being born again. Right. So many of us, when we think about what it means to be saved, our first thought is, I need to come to church, or I need to do this, or, man, I need to get right with God, or I need to do this. Salvation simply is surrender and faith. It's God, I realize I'm a sinner. I'm turning from my sin, and I want to live for you. But God, I realize I can't save myself I can't do enough to be uh, right with you. I need a savior. I need a sacrifice. And we receive Christ. We put our faith in Christ and what he's done. And then we begin to walk up under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Not only does the spirit regenerate us, but it seals us. Praise God. Ephesians 1 teaches us that, listen, when we're saved, we receive this helper, this Holy Spirit. And that means if you wanted to walk away from the faith, you can't because Jesus is in you. You can try, but you're coming back because the Spirit in you is greater than you. That's the, that's the hope of glory inside of you and I. Listen, the Holy Spirit is a huge deal. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, right? John 14 tells us that that as, as the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in our life, what will happen is as the Word of God is preached or the Word of God is, is being looked at in your life, what happens is, God begins to show you areas of your life where you're not like God, where where your life is not in submission to God. And what happens is either we respond in humility and say, God, you're God. I know you love me. You're good. I want to follow you. Or you kind of, you know, the hair on the back of your head stands up and you say, what kind of God would tell me this? What kind of God would not let me do what I want to do when I want to do it? The God of the Bible. And listen, when he confronts you or convicts you of that sin. He doesn't do it to stop you from having fun. He does it to stop you from destroying yourself. And as we begin to walk with the Holy Spirit, what we begin to do is ask God, hey, what in my life right now is leading me to destruction? Teach me through your word, right? The Spirit not only does that, but the Spirit teaches us just what I'm talking about. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as if it is our main teacher, I'm teaching you right now, and I have the gift of teaching spiritually, but also that you have the great teacher inside of you. That means you can sit down with the Word of God and begin reading it, and what happens is the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will begin to illuminate the Bible to you. Whereas maybe you've read the Bible your entire life, and it really hasn't meant anything to you or done anything. It's kind of been like a textbook. When you get the Holy Spirit, all you want to do is read the Bible and learn learn about God and know God. Not only does it teach us, but it counsels us. What does it mean, counsel us? You think about a counselor. What does a counselor do? You go to a counselor when you need somebody to address specific issues in your life, right? When, when, when you and I are walking through some circumstance that's too difficult for us to walk through alone. Listen, if you notice anything about when I preach, the first thing I pray for before I preach is that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would meet you exactly where you are. Why, why do I pray for that? I really don't even have to pray for it because I know it's going to happen, but I want you to understand it doesn't matter what I'm preaching about up here. As long as I'm preaching the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will begin to meet you exactly where you are like a counselor and begin to illuminate next steps in your life or things in your life that you need to walk away from, and and that's how he works. Listen, and, and so when we begin to follow God and begin to walk with the Holy Spirit, that's what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to counsel us. We begin to go to him and want him to counsel us. Not only that, but it grows us. It's it's the promise of, hey, if you have the Holy Spirit, you will be becoming more like Christ. Listen, for a lot of us in this room right now, you know, there's a difference between a balloon that has helium in it and a balloon that has air from a human being in it. What's the difference between those two balloons? One floats, right, and one falls to the floor. Okay, so for some of us, our relationship with God is more like the balloon that has oxygen from a person in it. And what happens is your relationship with God, is it has to be kind of slapped up. You know what I mean? And so for most of you, if you're like this, you come to church... And you want me to slap you up, you know what I mean? Make sure you don't hit the ground. You, hey, I need something, boom, slap you this way, slap you that way, boom. Slap you back up, you need to do this, boom. You know. And the, the sad, sick thing is you like it. <laughs> but listen, there's a whole nother side of how God intended this to be where you actually have the spirit helium in you where you don't need me to slap you around. What you need is the Holy Spirit in you beginning to empower you and beginning to grow you and beginning to, to teach you. And then lastly, the, 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 the Bible teaches us that the Spirit empowers us. We've been looking at this in Acts for a while now, but Acts, when Jesus literally leaves to go back to heaven, he says, listen, you guys need to wait here, and you're going to receive power. And this power, the Holy Spirit, is going to empower you to be witnesses all over the world, be witnesses of who I am and what I've done. And so the number one characteristic of the Holy Spirit, the best gift we could ever receive as a, Christ, as, as a person at all, the reason Christmas exists is the Holy Spirit. Because listen, it gives us the power that we do not have without it. Literally the power of God to transform us inside and work in us and work through us. But it starts with us surrendering our life to Christ. It starts with us realizing, listen, I can't fix myself. Sin is so powerful that God had to come from heaven to earth to pay the penalty due our sin on the cross. He was the only person that could take care of it. And also he had to raise from the dead to show his power over sin So that now he could fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we could no longer walk as a slave to sin, but walk in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. That's the point of the gospel. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Listen, the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that God could ever leave us. And so when you think about Christmas, right where you are today, listen, before you get into all the busyness of the presents and your family and you know, just traveling from here to there and putting together all these different things. I just want you to think about the fact that Christmas is about God with us. He came to us. God for us. He died for you and I so that we could be saved. And God in us. He's given us the power of his Holy Spirit to live in us. Listen, that's the greatest gift about Christmas we could ever imagine. So here's how I want us to end today. I want us to end today by taking communion together. Many of you have heard of communion. Maybe you've referred to it as the Lord's Supper. But here's what it is. One of the things that Jesus did with his disciples uh, right before he was betrayed and then eventually went to the cross is he called his 12 disciples up into an upper room. And it was a very intimate setting. It was kind of like a small group. It would have been way more intimate. Uh, than this, and it was Jesus Himself. And think about it, He hadn't been to the cross yet, so they didn't know what was going on necessarily. But what He said is, Hey, guys, you're not going to understand this now, but you will in a few days. And here's something that I want you to do in remembrance of me and what I've done for you. And I thought there's no better way to se- celebrate Christmas and remember Christ, the reason that we celebrate Christmas, more than taking communion. And so, Jesus. In this upper room, uh, he he, he brought out some wine and he brought out some bread. And of course, they were having a dinner, so it wasn't uh, too out of the way. And he said, listen, this bread, I want you to eat it because it's symbolic of my body that I'm going to give for you on the cross. And this wine is going to be symbolic of the blood that I'm going to spill for you that's gonna establish this new covenant where you can receive the Holy Spirit and begin to walk with me. And he said, listen, I want you to do this every so often to remember me. And listen, this is something very intimate. This is something between you and God because listen, what this does, and the reason God established it as an ordinance in his church, something we need to do very often, is because it brings you face to face with what Christ has done for you. But listen, for some of us, we're not believers. And the Bible says, hey, we don't need to take this because we're not up under this yet. God has not the Lord of our life. He's not our Savior yet. But listen, what greater way to celebrate Christmas than to give our life to Christ this morning and for this to be true for you. When you take of the bread and take of the wine, it's God's body and his blood that was spilt for you to provide salvation for you. So I want you to bow your head right where you are. God, we do adore you for who you are. God, we thank you for Christmas. God, we thank you that you came for us. God, you came to be with us. God, you came for us as a sacrifice, Lord, and you came uh, so that you could live within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Father, I pray, God, that you would empower us to go from here. Lord, I pray that people would be able to see you by seeing our lives. So Father, I pray that in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Merry Christmas and have a good week.